0: Chapter Twenty-One of Life of Saint Gerard Magella. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Emerson Wells. Life of Saint Gerard Magella by Reverend O. R. Vassil Phillips. Chapter Twenty-One. Glorified in Heaven and on Earth. Gerard had scarcely breathed his last when he appeared to a lady who had held him in great veneration during his life. He was, on the occasion of this first apparition after death, still clothed in his religious habit, but shortly afterwards he was seen by her again, now resplendent with the light of everlasting glory. Oh, he said, how liberally does God reward the small sufferings that we endure for his sake on earth. He also appeared at the same time in another place to a redemptorist father named Peter Petrella, to whom he revealed some of the happiness which he enjoyed in heaven. About three hours after the death of this great servant of God, the superior of the house, moved no doubt by a divine impulse, determined to ask of God a supernatural sign of his sanctity. Taking his right arm, he said aloud, "Gerard, you were ever obedient during life,' I now command you in the name of the Most Holy Trinity and in that of the Blessed Mother of God to give us the proof that we ask. He made an incision in one of his veins and at once there gushed forth a copious flow of ruby blood. The members of the community full of joy hastened to collect it in a basin in which they plunged linen cloths afterwards to be distributed as precious relics to the favored friends of the glorious brother. When at break of day, the sacristan went to announce a death to the neighborhood. Instead of tolling a funeral bell, he rang forth a joyous chime. On being blamed for this, he stated that he had been forced thus to act by an interior impulse that had overcome him when his hand was on the bell rope. People came flocking in from all sides as the news of Brother Gerard's departure from this world spread through the country round. Early in the morning, his body had been carried to the church, and it was at once surrounded by an eager throng of persons drawn from all classes of society. In their anxiety to obtain some memorial of the saint, they began to cut off pieces of his habit, and even of his hair, until it became necessary to set guards to restrain the enthusiasm of the faithful. During the two days that St. Gerard's remains were in the church, the pious visitors were reckoned not by hundreds, but by thousands. There was a constant flow to and from the catafalque of those who had come, many of them from great distances, to do honor to the humble lay brother whom God had been pleased to raise to such a pinnacle of sanctity. The funeral took place on October 17th. Before finally consigning the body to the tomb, the superior of the house again opened a vein, and again there gushed forth the red blood that spoke of life rather than of death. Gerard was indeed living still, living and reigning before the throne of God in heaven, and men should thus be reminded by stupendous miracles that even the earthly casket of his pure spirit was one day, through the transforming power of the life-giving flesh of Jesus Christ, to share in the fullness of the bliss unspeakable that had already been given to his soul and should be his for endless ages. On the very day of the interment, The superior foreseeing that Gerard would one day be venerated upon our altars, caused a public notary to draw up a formal document embodying the wonders that had taken place between his death and funeral. Besides the fathers and ten lay-brothers of the community, ten of the inhabitants of Caposele were called to give evidence. All gave their testimony on oath, and the notary made a report which is to be found in the process of his beatification." gerard had hardly passed away before it pleased almighty god to give signs of his power in heaven father petrella to whom it will be remembered that the saint had appeared shortly after his death was one day asked to pray in an especial manner for a great sinner living at Caposele. he answered i will give brother gerard an obedience to go and find him out and make him enter into himself the next day this poor man came in a state of great terror to the convent "'saying that Brother Gerard had appeared to him "'and spoken to him with great severity. "'He then went to confession with signs "'of the most sincere repentance. "'A Redemptorist was once speaking "'to a certain Marchioness of Granafe "'about the simplicity of St. Gerard's religious obedience. "'Tell me no more about him,' she cried out. "'I see clearly that he was only a holy fool.' "'I pray God,' replied the Redemptorist, "'that you will never be obliged to have recourse "'to one whom you call a fool.' Two months had not passed before this lady was attacked by a dangerous illness and given up by the doctors. In her extreme need she turned to Brother Gerard and said, If you really are the saint they say, show it and I will contribute to the expenses of your beatification. Scarcely had she made the promise than she was completely cured. Out of the vast number of miracles that St. Gerard is related to have worked after his death, we will now select the four regarded by the Holy See as proved beyond all reasonable possibility of doubt, and accepted as such for his beatification. Joseph Santorelli, grandson of the doctor who attended the saint with such loving care during his last illness, had a most dangerous attack of typhoid fever. His death seemed so imminent that his relations had actually made all the arrangements for his funeral. It occurred to them, however, to place on his head a picture of Brother Gerard when immediately to the stupefaction of all presents, the sick man sat up in his bed, completely cured. The saint had appeared to him and said, Get up without any fear. In the year 1849, Teresa Dayan received a dangerous cut in her left side. For three years the wound got gradually worse. At last the doctors had to perform a very dangerous operation, but it was of no avail. Two days after the operation they pronounced the case to be hopeless, her confessor then recommended her to make a novena to brother gerard at the close of the novena the bandages and plasters fell off of themselves the medical men found the sore place healed up with no trace of any scar although the evening before it had been a gaping wound hideous to behold the year after this miracle ursula solito was attacked by a frightful cancer and given up by the doctors who advised her to receive the last sacraments A picture of the holy brother was shortly afterwards placed upon her head, and the attendants prayed to him with much fervor. In a few moments she complained that she had received a blow in the front of the cancer, and that she was suffering acute pains. Soon, however, she fell asleep. On awakening she found the doctors round her bed. They examined her with amazement. She was perfectly cured. Oh, she said to them, it is not you who have cured me, it is Brother Gerard.' In the year 1867, Lawrence Riola, a boy of ten years of age, was given over by the most distinguished physicians of Naples. The child then begged Brother Gerard to cure him. He fell asleep and dreamed that he saw a golden ladder resting on his head and reaching up to heaven. He saw the Holy Brother coming down this ladder with a crucifix in his left arm. He touched the child who had once woke up to find himself quite well again. St. Alphonsus, on his bed of death, had pressed to his lips the picture of St. Gerard, the Holy Founder had wished himself to introduce the cause of the beatification at Rome. This, however, was for a variety of reasons impossible. It was not until the year 1843 that sixty witnesses were examined on oath at Muro, the place of his birth, and ninety-four at Caposele, where he had died concerning the virtues and miracle of Brother Gerard Magella. This sworn testimony was sent to Rome, and in September of 1847, Pope Pius IX of glorious memory at the prayer of the King of Naples of 47 archbishops and bishops of that kingdom, and of many other persons of distinction, signed the decree by which his case was formally brought before the Apostolic See. Thirty years later, in the presence of a large number of bishops who had come to the holy city to celebrate his Episcopal Jubilee, the sovereign pontiff solemnly declared that this venerable servant of God had practiced the Christian virtues in a heroic degree. Pius IX went to his everlasting reward the following year. It was reserved for his successor, the great Leo XIII, to inscribe Gerard's name in the white roll of the beatified. The sacred ceremony of his solemn beatification took place with great pomp on Septuagesima Sunday, January 29th, 1893, the fifth anniversary of the beatification of another son of St. Alphonsus, who had since been canonized, Clement Mary Hofbauer. The following two marvelous cures were recognized as certainly miraculous by the present Holy Father, Pius X, on the Feast of the Assumption of Our Lady, 1904, in view of the canonization of the wonderful brother. In August 1893, valeria berts of saint Trond in the diocese of liege in belgium was dying she had reached the last stage of some malignant fever together with meningitis all the signs of approaching dissolution had already appeared and the doctors were waiting for the end which as they said was very near it was in this extremity that valeria's mother applied a relic of saint gerard and begged him to cure her daughter when the medical men returned to the room they found her in her normal state of health In the year 1896, a boy named Vincent de Geronimo, aged 15, was studying in the seminary of Campsano when he fell ill. The illness increased daily until his danger became extreme. The skill, diligence, and assiduity of the doctors, even of the most skillful, were of no avail in giving him any alleviation. All the symptoms indeed showed that death was certain. A relic of St. Gerard was laid on the breast of the sufferer when he immediately fell asleep and wondrous to relate, awoke perfectly cured. After these two miracles had been, according to the invariable practice of the Holy See, rigorously examined, and approved by the Pope, there was no further obstacle in the way of Gerard's canonization, which was solemnized in St. Peter's on December eleventh, nineteen 1903. De corde erigens poperem ut collocet cum principibus cum principibus populi sui, Ever since he has been enrolled in the catalogue of the canonized saints, the cultus of St. Gerard has spread marvelously throughout the Catholic world, and he has worked miracle upon miracle in favor of his clients, conferring both temporal and spiritual favors of the most extraordinary character upon those who invoke his aid. Of these, we can only relate one or two of the most recent that have taken place in our own country. In July 1906, a Miss Mumford of Egberth near Liverpool had been a confirmed invalid for years, suffering from a spinal complaint, and had to walk on crutches. She prayed earnestly that Almighty God would grant her through the intercession of St. Gerard that she might be able to dispense with her artificial supports for a complete cure she would not ask. She was then blessed with the relic of St. Gerard and was able at once to walk without crutches, and has never used them since. Recently, she went on a pilgrimage to Lourdes in thanksgiving to God. In December 1907, Mrs. Sullivan, of 75 Chatterton Street, Liverpool, gave birth to a child. An hour or two afterwards, she was seized with internal hemorrhage. Two doctors were called in and declared the case to be hopeless. The hemorrhage, they said, would certainly return. The parish priest, Father Jean Renaud, of the Oratory of St. Philip Neri, Maryland Street, was then sent for on his arrival the poor woman was in a comatose state he said some prayers to saint gerard and blessed her with the relic twice in the evening he repeated his visit each time invoking the saint and blessing her with the relic as before the next morning she was perfectly well the doctors were amazed and declared that it was beyond all doubt a miracle she is now a healthy and strong woman one more marvel remains to be related The ecclesiastical authorities having ordered that all the relics of the servant of God should be officially examined, Gerard's tomb was opened for the first time on June 26, 1856. It was then noticed that a mysterious oil oozed forth in such abundance from the brain and bones as to fill up more than one basin. This wonderful manna, as the Italians call it, was carefully preserved in handkerchiefs and napkins, and was a source of many graces conferred upon the sick, who used it with faith, imploring the powerful intercession of God's holy servant Gerard. On October 11th, the body of the saint was again examined by ecclesiastical authority in the presence of two doctors. They found the bones more or less damp, but as this could be attributed to the humidity of the soil, it attracted but little attention. They were dried with all due care, and then placed in a chest lined with white silk. Four hours later, the chest having been opened, it was discovered that a kind of white oil shedding a sweet fragrance was coming forth anew from the holy relics, and resting like drops of dew upon the soap lining. After a short examination, the physicians drew up an official report of this occurrence, which, in their opinion, was beyond the laws of nature. It is needless, writes an eyewitness, to state how much joy this event has caused us, it is without doubt a presage of the favours which the Holy Brother will bestow upon those that honour him. In the course of one of his characteristic and most beautiful addresses, Pope Pius IX once paid the following testimony to St. Gerard's sanctity. Even as St. Alphonsus, by his sanctity, zeal, and learning, was a wonderful example for his children, so Gerard, by his simplicity of heart and marvellous obedience, was a perfect model for those of his own condition, the lay brothers. The austerity of his life made him a victim agreeable to God. He sought the Lord with all his heart and made his dwelling place in God, even as God dwelt in him. Thus spoke the pontiff, signalizing Gerard's virtues rather than his miracles. With these words of the vicar of Christ, we may well draw our little work to a conclusion. Gross indeed would be his error who, in considering St. Gerard's life, should dwell only on the marvels by which it is illumined without pausing to admire the interior perfection of soul, to which those marvels gave some external testimony. Simplicity of heart, obedience, self-denial, union of the affections and the will with God, these are the virtues that we are all called upon to practice in our measure and degree." It is, however, to those of his own state of life, to men called to that holy vocation, which Gerard treasured as the apple of his eye, that he will ever be, in a most special way, a patron and a model. To all lay brothers he is a bright example, but particularly to those of his own beloved congregation. As they go about their daily duties, they may remember that what they do now he did once. There is no office of a redemptorist lay brother, that was not discharged by St. Gerard Magella. He was at different times tailor, gardener, cook, refectorian, sacristan, infirmarian, carpenter. He had learned at Naples to make crucifixes, and afterwards employed himself at this work in his leisure moments at Caposele. He was a clerk of the works during the progress of the convent buildings. He went on mission with the fathers to attend their wants. All these duties he performed with equal care, knowing that all were the will of God for him. Divine Providence has then given him to us as a great saint who rejoiced in the careful discharge of humble offices, knowing that nothing is really small that is done with a single eye for the glory of God. The brothers whom St. Gerard loves with a deep fraternal love may ever remember to their comfort that their work of little account in the eyes of men is that by which he became so great in the eyes of God while it was his charity, the virtue which all who would save their souls must practice, that made him so dear to the sacred heart of our Lord Jesus Christ, and also to those his brethren here below, whose lives grew sweet and pleasant through the fragrance of his heavenly and also of his human loving kindness. End of chapter 21. Recording by Emerson Wells.